Governor DeSantis is America's Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez combined into one as he declares war on private business for not discriminating against people as he redraws Florida's electoral map. Governor Abbott's unlawful border PR stunt has now cost Americans more than $9 billion with a B dollars. He achieves nothing and he's declaring victory. Ted Cruz reveals his secret fetish about Pluto and Mickey having sexual intercourse on Disney and that he's sexually aroused and outraged all at once. What is he even talking about? The GOP has declared a war on Americans. Mm -hmm. The media is complicit. Wake up, people. And if you need that wake up medicine, we have Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who gave that viral speech on the Senate floor demanding decency after she was defamed by a radical right extremist senator who called her a groomer, disgusting, despicable. But let me tell you this, with leaders like Senator McMorrow, we are going to win because the American people are decent. We just have to communicate and message it. That is why we have the Midas Touch podcast. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Ben, Brett, and Jordy joining you each and every podcast, promoting our democracy, promoting civility, promoting decency, promoting normalcy. You know, Brett, I think about as we talk through this episode, I think we play it at the top, this James Carville interview where James Carville was discussing some of his uh, some of the radical right extremists out there. He's like, these are a bunch of weird people. This is some weird shit going on over here. This is some really, really strange, strange things. At the top of it, let's play the James Carville clip. Problem is they are a weird political party. They need to be branded as such. These 26 QAnon people, all right, that's not that, that's not necessarily the extreme. I mean, these are people that talk about testicle tanning. These are people that like go to Hungary for conferences. These are not normal. By and large, a large part of the Republican Party is just out and out weird. And when you have Moscow Mitch saying we need more sane people, that means you got a lot of really crazy people. It, look at the, the clip when uh, you and my and uh, Billy were, Bill were looking at. Peter Navarro, that guy was a serious person in the White House. You're telling me that he's a normal human being? No. <laughs> were you we listening so to James right. Carville right there? Or was that an older episode of the Midas Touch podcast? I mean, that, that is exactly that, what we've been saying. That's the playbook, boys. He summed up exactly how I felt, what I've been voicing on this show for so long in that 45-second soundbite. I just gotta, I gotta, I have to address this right now. Yeah, I, yeah, I, we need, we need to talk about this. I mean, this is, <laughs> this can't go unaddressed this much longer into the show. Yeah, Brett because- has cut himself shaving. He is bleeding profusely in this entire episode, Here's straight the from the top of his lip. 
I cut myself shaving like two and a half hours ago. I was like, oh, I should be fine by the time we start taping the show. I had a Band-Aid on it for a while. I've been patting it, putting pressure on it with a with a tissue, but nothing. It just won't stop. And the more I speak, the more it drips down. So I apologize to everybody looking at me right now. And I'm going to let you speak because I, I'm not this saying this to be rude, but you don't shave often. So why would you take today an hour and change it. before we record to pick one? First time shave. I've shaved in like six months. That's not true. I often, it doesn't grow I, facial hair. I often <laughs> shave. I often shave prior to the shows, and I assumed a few hours before would be enough of a gap. And uh, I thought wrong. Bad the problem is you're thinking about it. Stop thinking about it, and it will stop. Oh, I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. But why don't you guys go? It's coming back. It's coming. It's growing down. So let us Waterfall. get it. Let us get into <laughs> Governor Death Santis' war on private business. And as we're all learning about and talking about and reading about on the news, DeSantis's war on Disney, let us not forget its origins. And its origins are that when DeSantis passed the anti-LGBTQ plus bill, the don't say gay bill, it wasn't even that Disney came out and was like pioneering or championing a policy that was, you know, trying to change legislation in a way that was pro LGBTQ plus. What Disney simply said is it is not good for our business to have discriminatory policies. What Disney said is we do not support discrimination against our employees and we don't like legislation being passed that is discriminatory. That It's as simple as that. So that is what has outraged dictator DeSantis, dictator Death Santis in Florida, who has now, because Disney said, hey, we, we, it's hard for us to support politicians who support discriminatory policies against the LGBTQ plus community. DeSantis has declared an all out war on business. And as he reigns like a dictator, he's directed his Republican legislature, which it's uh, the legislature in Florida is controlled by Republicans to revoke business incentives that the state of Florida previously gave Disney, where they became a self-governing district, where they pay a hundred plus million in taxes, and they're responsible for local government in the areas where Disney, where Disney World operates. And the protections that were given to Disney, the incentives, because Disney is the top private employer in the state, you think about it, right? It's not uncommon that businesses, and today we hear about it with Amazon, we hear about it with you know Elon Musk and Tesla, but there's far less um, headline catchy corporations that do this. When they go into businesses, they ask for certain tax incentives, they ask for certain things to bring jobs to those businesses. And so this is something that Disney did in the 1960s and it's worked out well. Everyone, when you think about Florida, you think about beaches, you think about how shitty Governor Death Santis is, and you think about some of their backwards, you know, political policies. Unfortunately, that's what you think about now. But of course, you think about Disney World being there and Epcot Center and all of the great things that are associated with Disney. So Governor DeSantis, you know, basically ordered his legislator to revoke these privileges. Now, the issue with the revocation of the privileges is that if Disney's not paying for these services, 
who is paying for these services, mm. the firefighters, the police, security, the people of the county where Disney is located. And so there's now a shift where if you revoke these benefits and Disney doesn't operate like its own local city, like its own local municipality, that has to get shifted to someone and it's going to get shifted to the Florida taxpayers. So in retaliating against Disney, because Disney could not be supportive of the LGBTQ plus discriminatory bills, Governor DeSantis is now raising taxes on Floridians. Property taxes are also going to go up by crazy as a result of mm -hmm. this and pushing Disney probably away from even being in Florida. If I'm Disney, if I'm any business right now and I'm thinking, why would you want to be it, there? Here's the thing you think, OK, the, uh, a governor like a DeSantis, like an Abbott claims they're going to be giving lower taxes. But what's the trade off for lower taxes, which isn't even necessarily true that they're lowering taxes. So the trade off between lowering taxes is if I oppose any of the discriminatory policies of the governor, like Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, like Fidel Castro in Cuba, like the dictators of that ilk, like like Vladimir Putin in Russia and the oligarchy. What's going to happen is a DeSantis and Abbott will destroy my business in exchange for the fact that I took my business and took a small business incentive like lower taxes um, or maybe other types of you know grants that the government may offer to my business. That's how you have to think about it. And that's how oligarchies start. That's how you have oligarchs, because if you don't, you get a you get a business benefit in exchange for obsequiousness in exchange for literally doing what the dictator tells you, in this case, Governor Abbott, uh, and, or in this case, Governor DeSantis, or in this case, the Republican governors of that ilk. Uh -huh. That's what's going on in Disney. And for what? For not discriminating against people? Yeah. Because you want to treat people with some level of decency? I like that you're focusing on that point, Ben, because that's at the end of the day, it's that's what it's all about. This is about discrimination the right to discriminate against a group of people without recourse and the ability to silence any dissent to that discrimination. So let's put a number on what this is costing people, $2,200. That's the amount of money that this is going to cost every single taxpayer in the Orlando area around Disney World as a result of these policies. And I'm glad you brought up the point about oligarchy too, because let's talk more about DeSantis. DeSantis is ruling as a dictator in Florida, and it's very Trumpian in the way that he's behaving and that the legislators are behaving because there's no longer a Republican ideology down there. The Republican ideology is whatever Ron DeSantis wants, the same way that nationally the Republican ideology is whatever Donald Trump says goes. So all those free market conservative principles that they espoused in the past, yeah, we lied about those. Let's throw those aside. It's all bullshit. Cancel culture this, cancel culture that. Let's use the actual literal power of the government to try to cancel a corporation because they disagree with us. That's the ultimate cancel culture here. That literally is the definition of cancel culture. And that is the definition of fascism. Like you said, Ben, this is Hugo Chavez. This is Fidel Castro. This is Vladimir Putin. And let's go even further, okay? You spoke about oligarchies. Let's talk about what DeSantis is doing with Twitter. He wants to punish Twitter because they didn't take an offer from an American billionaire who you could call an oligarch, Elon Musk. And because this billionaire is facing headwinds buying the company that he wants, DeSantis wants to use the power of the government to punish Twitter for what he calls breaching their fiduciary duty. Florida has no place regulating what Twitter does here. When you dissect the argument to me, isn't even sound because Twitter stock at this point is not even much lower than Elon Musk's offer. So it's likely, in fact, 
breaching Twitter's fiduciary duty to take Elon Musk's lowball offer at this stage. What I don't understand about this whole Twitter thing, brothers, is if I'm a business, it's my right as a business owner. I could sell to whoever the damn well I want to sell to. I don't have to sell to this person or that person just because they come in with a really high offer. Well, it's a little bit different than that, Jordy, but I, I hear your point. And so let me break down the, the, the reality of the situation. So they're a publicly traded company. It isn't anybody's company. The shareholders are who is owed a fiduciary duty by the board of directors. The board of directors owes its fiduciary obligations to shareholders because it is a publicly traded company. The shareholders can vote or voice their approval or disapproval. And oftentimes we see that with movement in the stock prices. And so Elon Musk, you know, saying that I'm going to make a last and final offer of something like Twitter. I think he put it at about $54 yeah. a share and Twitter was trading at $44 a share. Generally, if you would think that that offer is a good offer, the stock would immediately rise significantly. In fact, above $55 a share um, to even the 60s or the 70s, one of the things that you would do defensively as a corporation like Twitter, one of the things in your arsenal when an offer is made like that to the board is to put a shareholder rights plan where there is a poison pill. Now, part of the poison pill, though, is could be in furtherance of your fiduciary obligations to your shareholders by exploring how you can raise the price. So if I'm getting a $54 offer, maybe you believe it's actually worth $74 or $84 a share because the value is not necessarily encapsulated in what the market is viewing your share price at. The value of Twitter as being a major multimedia source of news that everybody's on, actually the value may be the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s a share. One of the things Elon Musk is well within his rights to do, which he hasn't done yet, is to make a tender offer. A tender offer is an offer made directly to the shareholders to buy all outstanding shares that exist and thus to privatize the company. Now, here's the thing, Jordy. Elon Musk doesn't even necessarily have a financing mechanism to make that acquisition. And you can do that in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you can have, you can try to raise a lot of debt to acquire that. But for Elon Musk, to be able to acquire Twitter, he would have to divest of significant amounts of shares that he has in Tesla. So it's a little bit more complicated than as you suggest, but Jordy, the overriding principle here is that there is a free market that exists. And Twitter was well within its rights in the free market to have a shareholder rights plan. Elon Musk is well within his rights to yep. respond to that. And they're well within their rights to have private litigation. What's weird here and what's fascist is for someone like DeSantis to come in and claim that somehow the state of Florida is a fiduciary. For him to claim the state of Florida is a fiduciary is dictatorial because therefore you're saying the government is who has Twitter is working for the government, not for its shareholders. And it's again, it's a PR stunt. Yeah. We'll talk about other BS PR stunts. But Jordan, that makes sense to you? Absolutely. Give give Ben a round of applause, everybody. Just give Ben. Great. This is why everyone says, Ben, you're so kind to Jordy. Never talk down to Jordy. You always make him feel smart, Jordy. Oh, Ben, thank you so much. Thank you. Everyone clap for Ben. To Ben's point, let me give you an update that was made earlier today, this morning. Elon Musk made a filing. He hasn't said yet whether he is going to make a tender offer, but he did announce how he plans to finance the buy. So the funding includes roughly $21 billion in equity financing and around $25.5 billion in debt financing. So that's his plan. 
to try to buy the company. And at the end of the day, like you said, Elon Musk, he's going to make his offer. The board's going to review the offer. They'll decide to do whatever's in the best interest of Twitter. And the government shouldn't get involved except for regulatory reasons. And it's just so weird. Like all of a sudden, Democrats are the free market conservatives here. It's a it's true. That's why I say you can't call Ron DeSantis conservative. You can't call no. the radical right extremists conservative because it's the least conservative thing to intervene as he did in uh, Twitter in that case or what he's doing with Disney. And it's also worth talking about, though, Brett, the Ron DeSantis uh, redistricting the Florida maps. We've talked about this in legal AF. It's usually the role of the legislatures to that, that basically do the maps and do the redistricting. And, you know, and they're able to gerrymander unless there is anti-gerrymandering provisions. You can't gerrymander in a, in a racist, in a discriminatory way under the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But the Voting Rights Act has been heavily eroded by the Supreme Court. I won't get into all of the history, but in 2013, the Supreme Court made a ruling taking away pre-clearance. Pre-clearance was a process by which the Department of Justice or a three-judge panel would review districts submitted by states to determine if they're racist or not racist. So you'd have to pre-clear that in order to have your maps approved. Supreme Court got rid of that. It's a little bit complicated. They got rid of the formula, which therefore got rid of pre-clearance. So now the legislatures are proposing racist maps that don't get challenged. You have to file lawsuits suits to challenge them. And by the time the lawsuits are instituted, the Supreme Court and the courts use what's called the Purcell rule to say, oops, we're too close to the election. We can't even deal with this issue. Let the racist map stand. That's basically what's going on in a 30 second update. But the uh, Republican legislature in Florida gave a very discriminatory map. But DeSantis said, not discriminatory enough. Use my super discriminatory map. I'm going to yep. veto yours. So DeSantis proposed his map. Literally, he drew the map himself. He had yep. his general counsel draw the map. The Republican legislature approved his racist map. And that's the one that's going to get approved. Now you're going to see lawsuits that are going to be filed against that. He literally cut out like black districts, like two, two Congress members who would represent black districts won't be Congress persons anymore under his map, literally carving that out. Now you'll see civil rights groups challenge it. Um, oh, by the way, Florida has in 2010, they instituted anti-gerrymandering provisions. So even in Florida, you can't gerrymander for political reasons. It's in the constitution. And so now you're going to see challenges to that. But ultimately, part of their strategy, the Republicans, is they wait to the last minute to do yeah, it. They're trying so to run out close the clock to the here. elections to run out the clock on the on the election. And this goes back to what I was saying before about the GOP legislators in Florida ceding all power to DeSantis. These maps now favor Republicans by a ratio of 70% in a state where Republicans make up just 36% of registered voters. So it's creating a huge imbalance of power. It eliminates the districts of two black congressmen silencing black voice in the state and it's corruption at the highest levels. And we see local Dems trying to fight back doing what they can. This morning, Democrats from the Florida House Black Caucus shut down the House floor in protest. And here's what dictator DeSantis and the Republicans did. They shut down the TV feed after it happened to silence them. The House sergeant actually told the AP photographer who was present that they had to leave. That's Putin propaganda shit right there. Yeah. I mean, it's all Putin propaganda. It's straight from the Putin playbook. Even Putin 
called and still calls his enemies groomers and pedophiles to silence them, arrest them, and even kill them. And I'm very worried that that's the direction that we're heading at. The rhetoric that I'm seeing about Disney World, Disney in general, reminds me of the rhetoric we saw about Comet Ping Pong in the early stages of QAnon in 2016, the pizza shop in DC. And that ended with a gunman opening fire, looking for Hillary Clinton and John Podesta's secret child sex trafficking ring in the basement of a DC pizza place that didn't even have a basement. And think about all the families who have saved up all their lives to take their children to Disney to get get there and be harassed by lunatics calling them pedophiles and groomers. I mean, my only hope with all of this is that these crazy people are so far out there and such lunatics that they scare voters and regular people from ever wanting to even be associated with them. Play the clip, Brett, of uh, one of those the people in front of Disney and what they're saying. This guy's bad news. This guy's bad news. Walt Disney would be very disappointed 50 years later. We're going to cover it up. It's no more Disney World. It's DeSantis Land. DeSantis Land. There. Fixed it. No more Disney. Go woke, go broke. DeSantis is taking over. Maga. Let's go, Brandon. That's clearly a sick and disturbed individual right there. But what is the media doing? We've learned also that CNN Plus uh, this morning is going out of business. Um, but let's talk about what CNN said about uh Ron DeSantis. This was what their Chiron said. DeSantis nets more wins as he energizes the right with his anti-woke pro-freedom strategy ahead of re-election 2024. Media malpractice, right? What is mm-hmm. CNN doing? That's a press release that Ron DeSantis's office would put out there. Yep. Let's just dissect it a little bit and the positive language that they use to describe these bills that are attacking black and brown people, that are attacking LGBT people, that are attacking childbearing persons, that are banning voters, that are taking voters off the voting rolls. They describe it as nets more wins. Those are wins, apparently. Energizes the right, energizes, it's all positive language with his anti-woke, Republican buzzwords, anti-woke, pro-freedom strategy. I don't know what about any of the things that we've talked about today are Mm pro-freedom. What about fascism is pro-freedom? This really is journalism. This really is journalistic malpractice here. And whoever wrote this should be just ashamed. I mean, this is why somebody like Ron DeSantis could win. This is why somebody like Ron DeSantis is a contender in 2024, because they're putting it right here on the headline that he's energizing people with all these wins for his reelection and for 2024. I just don't know the audience that CNN at this point is trying to placate to. Like, are they just a network set up for Bill Maher at this point? Because that's what it ultimately feels like. It's no wonder why CNN Plus is going under. I think it was reported today that CNN Plus is is suspending all operations. I mean, they have totally lost the way. But it goes beyond CNN. I know that. This is just another prime example of them being ridiculous. I think it's actually far worse, Jordy, than, you know, I know that Bill Maher is a a joke that you use because you don't like Bill Maher that much. But Bill Maher actually 
does have some very, I think, good rants and strong rants, especially about right-wing fascism. But I, I, I hear you. It's this far worse than what Bill Maher is. What CNN apparently wants to do is they want to push. They're trying to exchange favors here, right? So mm-hmm. they want to push DeSantis as the front runner. They want to pick DeSantis as like the guy so that when he runs, they have access so that they can get the interviews and that they could, you know, start being able to get him and get exclusives with him. That is how democracy dies. Democracy dies with that headline right there because you have CNN, you might as well be Fox News there. You have Fox News, which is Fox News, and you need real transparent media that's out there and shouting the truth as much as possible. Speaking about shouting the truth and speaking about these despicable uh, framings of the GQP, of the radical right extremists who are actually trying to now kill their democratic adversaries. That's why they use this rhetoric. We have Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow on the show. Now she's the state senator. We're gonna play her viral clip uh, in a second. The clip went viral. She didn't know it was gonna go viral when she went out there and spoke. She just spoke her heart, she went to Notre Dame. She has a Catholic uh, upbringing. She talked about the work she did in uh, soup kitchens and homeless shelters over the weekend to actually help people. And she woke up to a Michigan radical right extremist who's running against a Trumper who called her, who called Mallory McMorrow a groomer and said that she was trying to groom and sexualize children. That's what Michigan, that's what Michigan state Senator Mallory McMorrow woke up to and had her family see, and she took to the floor, and we're gonna, and the speech was one of the most incredible political speeches I've ever seen. So we have her on the podcast. And I do wanna talk about Abbott and Ted Cruz after that interview. Um, Before uh, bringing her interview in, I wanna talk about some fast growing trees because Brett does not have have a fast growing beard, but when Brett does grow that beard, he clearly does not know how to shave. Brett, you wanna tell the people about fast growing trees? You know what, Ben, I'm gonna put your insult aside for the moment so that I could tell our listeners and viewers about fast growing trees who I love. Spring and summer are the seasons for finally getting outdoors for entertaining pool parties and BBQs. But if your yard looks like a plant cemetery, you're not going to enjoy it as much. Get your place looking like a resort easy with fast growing trees. When it comes to caring for your plants, know how matters. And that's why fastgrowingtrees.com's experts curate thousands of plant varieties that will thrive in your specific climate location and needs. There's no waiting in lines and no messy cars from hauling plants all over town because you order online or over the phone and your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. Plus their growing and care advice is available 24 seven. Whether you're looking for increased privacy, shade or adding some natural beauty to your yard, fast growing trees have the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them. Even if you've never had a green thumb like me, they will make you feel like you do. One million home gardeners have already seen what fastgrowingtrees.com can do for them. I love fastgrowingtrees.com because I am not somebody who has had a green thumb, but I really like the idea of having these plants in my yard. So I went and ordered a Meyer lemon tree. That's right. I love some Meyer lemons. And now I get to have them from my very own tree. One of the best parts about it too, every time I get to walk into my house, once once this thing grows, I get to smell the citrus from the tree 
tree every single time. I am so excited to watch this tree grow. Plus, with the 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything is going to be healthy for years to come. So, Get your own stuff right now. I love all their varieties of plants and trees that they have. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Midas Touch and you'll get 15% off your entire order. So get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Midas Touch. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash Midas Touch. 15%, that's a good deal. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. a really good deal. I negotiated that. If you haven't... (laughs) I negotiated that for our listeners. For I know real. you so did. Just take advantage of it. Um, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMurrow now joins the podcast. Before bringing her in, Brett, play the now famous clip of her speech on the Senate floor. I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd District had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of quote parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. So I want to be very clear right now. Call me whatever you want. I hope you brought in a few dollars. I hope it made you sleep good last night. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. And welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who is a state senator from Michigan who represents the 13th district. We played her viral speech on the Senate floor uh, right before this interview where she spoke the truth about her GOP colleague who sent out this heinous, heinous email accusing her of being a groomer and a fundraising email. The video has now amassed more than 10 million views. And really, uh, this speech by State Senator McMorrow is about decency, about civility, It's about moving away from the performative nonsense. It's all the things we talk about on Midas Touch, and we're so grateful to have you on the podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you for for having me. It's been been a day, two days, however long it's been. I don't know. I haven't slept. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the media has focused a lot on the speech, and of course, we'll get to that. But I think the background leading up to the speech, you know, is also important and the dynamic of State Senator Lana Theus's email and the propaganda and her messaging, it's important to, to, to realize why she's even you know doing this. One, it's hateful rhetoric consistent with things that she said before, but many people don't know this, right? She's actually running against someone who's a Trump-endorsed state mm-hmm. senator, and they're trying to out-radical each other in their extremist, hateful rhetoric. So it's kind of this race to the bottom of who's uh, saying worse and more hateful things. Can, can you speak to that dynamic that you see yeah. over there? Absolutely. Well, and, and first of all, you know, Lana's opponent is is not a sitting state senator. You know, he ran for for Congress, uh, I think a cycle or two cycles ago against uh, Alyssa Slotkin. And, you know, we know how that went. And so he's not a sitting elected official, but is Trump endorsed, you know, going kind of full fringe. Um, but I think sort of what led us 
to this moment goes way back. You know, Michigan has been the focus of so much attention. This was the epicenter of the big lie and election fraud and, you know, mini baby insurrection here on our Michigan Capitol on April 30th of 2020, way before we saw January 6th. And what we started seeing happening was, you know, the willingness of state Republicans to feed and fan the big lie, holding hearings, bringing Rudy Giuliani in, you know, all of these things that really exposed a willingness to QAnon and conspiracy theories and being willing to align with hate groups and militia organizations to, to further a cause. So we kind of saw that coming a long time ago. Um, but then we've seen the, the, the messaging about pedophilia and grooming uh, be redirected and pulled off of, you know, the darkest corners of the web and QAnon to the forefront of one of our major political parties uh, targeting the LGBTQ community, particularly kids, and trying to make people fearful of people who just want to exist, just live in the world. And it's the irony of, you know, Ron DeSantis-esque people saying, oh, the government overreach and leave us alone. But it's only leave us alone if you're a certain type of person. Um, But if you happen to be a trans girl who wants to play soccer with her friends in fifth grade, you know, not you. So we've seen this grow and it's been pulled into reality and it is impacting particularly gay kids lives in really, really horrific ways. Uh, so Lana Tice gave an invocation in our Senate chambers where she she used the guise of a prayer to plead with God for guidance because our children are under attack And there was a long pause. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, from gun violence, from climate change, from all of these things that are actually attacking our kids. And then she said, because there are dark forces that would have our kids be or know or learn things against their parents. Well, you know, it was very thinly veiled. Don't say gay rhetoric just in a prayer. So myself and a few others walked out. uh, And then later that week, the GOP rejected one of the governor's appointees to a university board, which is not headline making news, but it was the second openly gay appointee that was rejected. And not just anybody. This was somebody who was previously uh, a house rep, somebody that my colleagues knew, knew was qualified and a decent, good person and gave absolutely no reason. Uh, And then she came for me and sent out an email to fundraise accusing me of grooming and pedophilia. And I was so disgusted. It was so vile that 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 was the straw that broke the camel's back. And here we are. Where were you when you read that email? I mean, it has the title groomers outraged by my invocation. And literally in the email, it calls you a groomer and says that you want to groom and sexualize children and calls you out by name. Where were you when you read that? And how did you react as soon as you saw that? Yeah, I mean, I was I was tagged by a reporter on Twitter and saw a screenshot of it uh, Monday morning. So I was you know, at my home office doing work and organizing things and and responding to constituent emails. And I just as soon as I was tagged, a couple of local reporters called me and and it caught me so off guard because just what a horrific thing for a mother to say about another mother. And 
I, I would just was flabbergasted. I know Brett and Jordy will go into the content of the speech you gave, but I want to go back to what you said earlier in the interview about Michigan being kind of the epicenter of a lot of this disinformation. I mean, you represent the 13th district. And when you go around shaking hands and meeting with people in your district, um, they want their kids to have great lives. They want their kids to be educated. They want health care. They want jobs. And, you know, you can have normal interactions with them. And I think uh, you, Senator Lana Theus and going to the 22nd district, too, you know, while they're electing her, um, I think when you speak one on one with the people and you actually have an interaction, right? I mean, I assume they want health care. They don't want to die. I assume they care about jobs and they care about their kids' education. So knowing that's the dynamic, is this a messaging issue? How is disinformation so permeated the state where there is a large constituency that follows cult behavior like QAnon? And obviously you pushing back is, you know, that's why we were like, yes, we need this. But I feel like we need this every day because you have people like Lana Theus doing the reverse of what you did every day with sometimes little pushback. So why, why is Michigan, you know, the, the epicenter of this? Yeah, you know, Michigan is is a fascinating and wonderful place all at the same time. You know, we are a state that elected Gretchen Whitmer, Dana Nessel, Jocelyn Benson in our executive office. So badass women, an openly gay attorney general who fought for, for marriage equality in the Supreme Court. Uh, and we have more militia activity than I think any other state in the country, all, all in one place. Uh, and I represent my, the district that I currently represent. It was a Republican district that I flipped in 2018. So, you know, this is regular people. This is Mitt Romney's hometown is, is what I represent right now. And I think fundamentally what I have seen when I ran and kind of throughout the, the past four years is that most people don't want to hate other people. You know, I, I've got a lot of people who want responsible budgets. Do we want to make sure we're supporting businesses, cutting taxes, those sorts of things? And that's that's all debate we can have. But at the expense of other people is, is where the line is drawn. But what is concerning to me is I think because so many in the state Republican Party are willing to adopt conspiracy theories, violent hate groups, anti-government extremists who frankly don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, they want to overthrow the government and kill people, um, that it sends a confusing message. I mean, I have a constituent who, you know, she was a Republican precinct delegate at one point. She's yeah. older. I think she lives alone, but she called our office for, for a while, for months, you know, every week, more and more and more upset because if she's on the mailing list for for me, Sean Maddock, who has been elevated to one of the co-chairs of the state GOP, um, who is a Trump anointed fringe big lie promoter, you know, if she's on Michonne's mailing list, she's hearing all of these things and believing that they're true, believing mm -hmm. that, you know, somebody in China hacked into our system and changed votes in Oakland County. I mean, they, they centered it on, you know, where I live right. and serve. Um, and it's dangerous because I think about this woman and, and I think, you know, these people are lying to you for their own advantage and they're taking advantage of people who might be vulnerable and who expect that they can trust the people who are our officials around them. And, you know, it used to be that you could from both Democrats and Republicans, you could disagree with them, but you could trust them. Uh, and that's not the case anymore. Now, Senator, it's so interesting as you talk about flipping your district in 2018, 
we've had on the podcast representative Gloria Johnson from Tennessee, who flipped a plus 12 Trump district uh, to Democrat. We've also had Kentucky State Senator Karen Berg on the podcast. And I think it was a plus six Trump district to Democrats. And I think that there's a lot that we could learn, you know, from them and from you about speaking directly to the issues that people care about. And so yeah. can you talk just a little bit about you getting into politics and the messaging that you communicated to people as we approach 2022? I think that the overall Democratic messaging really needs to focus on what you and the other state senators and representatives I just mentioned you know, were able to do to connect with Americans. Yeah, look, and, and I think the, the most important thing is just showing up and listening to people um, and talking like you would talk to your friend at a bar. You know, I think one of the things that I heard from a lot of people who had maybe never voted for a Democrat is that Democrats are elitist and they talk down to us and they think they know everything. Uh -huh. um, you know, I spent probably 45 minutes on the doorstep of a woman in, in one of the reddest areas of my district um, because we didn't have any data on if there are Democrats in that area. I was the first one kind of out on doors. Wow. Um, and I just listened. I listened to her. And right off the bat, she told me, you know, her biggest issue is the caravan at the border. So this is 2018 uh, and that she's a gun owner. She's got a bunch of guns in her truck and, and Democrats are coming for her guns. And she, she kind of went on and I was like, oh, gosh, I don't think this is going to work out. But eventually she got to my daughter in law is a teacher and it's so hard for her and she doesn't have enough resources. And I was finally able to say, you know what, as a state legislator, that is where I can focus and it's what I care about. And here's what I can do for you. And she said to me, and I'll never forget it. She said, I really appreciate that you sat here and you didn't hand me, you know, your thing that said Democrat on it in big letters. And you just listened for, and you didn't judge me. She said, you know, I expect that like Democrats judge us and they look down on us. Um, and then she said she would take a yard sign for me. So it, and that cycle, it was like Bill Schuette, John James and me, which is very confusing in one yard. Um, but that that's what we try to do. So I host a weekly live stream where we just update people on what's happening in the state. We take live Q&A, um, but I really try to encourage my staff and myself like explain things in clear, plain language. Talk like you talk to your friend at a bar. So, you know, my background is not in politics. I was a car designer and then I went into media. I worked at Gawker Media for a little while. Oh, wow. um, and I think that's really where I learned write like you would talk to your friends, not in academic language. And we try to do that as much as possible. And I, I think people appreciate it because then it, it gives you permission to participate in government instead of feeling like it's this faraway thing that happens, you know, by people in an ivory tower who don't right. care about you. Right. And and when it's a, you know, a state senator or a state representative, you have access to these people and you get to speak with people one on one. And I feel like, you know, the sense I get from speaking with you and the other representatives and state senators that Ben mentioned is that there is a vacuum in a large part of the country, a vacuum of really no information coming from the Democratic side. And so when there's no information, when there's no effort by a party infrastructure to even speak with those people who, by the way, 
have the same needs as every other American who want cheaper insulin, who want better health care, who want infrastructure. These are the people who democratic policies, they actually support these policies, but then they don't end up supporting democratic candidates. So I think it's important that we fill that vacuum and that we also rebuke those attacks or else those attacks are filled with this vitriolic rhetoric. Do you think that you have sort of set a template for Democrats to respond to these attacks? Do you think for too long that we've allowed a vacuum in these attacks where we allow Republicans to call somebody a groomer or use CRT as a bludgeon, and then we are too busy kind of being high-minded, sitting to the side and saying, you know what, the voters see through that. They see through that CRT isn't a real issue, so I'm not even going to comment on that. That's beneath me. Or should we be engaging more? More in these fights? I think you have to, because at the end of the day, people vote emotionally. And, and I think sometimes we as Democrats, we love data and research and analysis, and we want to pick apart, you know, why do people who fundamentally want healthcare and quality schools vote against, you know, their own interests? And first of all, when we frame it like that, it's us talking down to people, you know, we're not telling people what their own interests are. People vote based on emotion. And if they like you, and if they think they can trust you and we have to be able to do both. I think we have to bluntly call out hate when it is hate and also explain why that's an issue. Because if you are not somebody who is marginalized, if you're not a member of the LGBTQ community or, um, you know, a, a black family. And one of my colleagues gave a just wrenching speech today about being a black mom and worried about her son who's getting ready to drive and what that means if he's ever pulled over. But if you're not a part of a marginalized community, it doesn't mean that this hate doesn't affect you because that effort to redirect people's anger towards hate means that they're also not offering solutions to the things that you really need. And that's what I tried to get at is they're lying to you. They're lying to you and they're trying to make you mad and hate people and blame other people for your problems when it's not their fault. Somebody who's different is not the reason that your healthcare costs are too high. Right. And let's dig into the speech because you hit on that in the speech. You kept emphasizing, I am a white, straight, Christian, suburban mom. Why? It's funny to me because I feel like Republicans always hit Democrats for identity politics. But one of the things that has been so frustrating for me is seeing Christianity weaponized to hate people and the performative nonsense of it all. That if you stand up and you say, I'm a Christian and I'm a wife, that you can do whatever you want to people who are not that. It is hateful and it is wrong. And and also the 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 weaponization of white suburban moms, right? Like, I think there was a very real moment and, and still is. And I think we, we have to speak to moms have dealt with a lot over the past few years with school closures and COVID and having to balance work and non-flexible work schedules. And if their kids are at home and, but they're taking advantage of that to push this hateful agenda. So, you know, I, I am tired of them claiming to speak for people like me straight, white, Christian, suburban moms, because I know a lot of people just like me don't feel this way. Um, and, and 
that's why it was really important to me to frankly take my own identity back yeah. and not let them define it. Yeah. And then towards the end, I thought what was interesting is when, when you sarcastically made that comment to the effect of, you know, I, I hope you slept well and made some money off this. Do you think that's what's driving a lot of this? Do you think it's about the money, the fundraising, the grift aspect of it all? Well, it has to be. I mean, why would you send out a fundraising email if it wasn't? And it's just, you know, the willingness, the willingness to just slander and lie about somebody with no thought of what the consequences might be. I mean, friends of mine who who live here moved from D.C., and went to Comet Ping Pong all the time, like knew the bartenders, knew the staff. So, yeah. you know, when this happened, that's their first concern for me is this is going to radicalize some gunmen to just come in and kill you. Yeah, that's And I'm sure Lana didn't think about that at all. I mean, my my mom was devastated why somebody would say this about me. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm always curious because, I mean, the speech is, speaks for itself. It is frankly amazing. It has over... 10 million views while we're recording this right now. How much of that, you know, was written down? Did you, you know, sort of speak verbatim once you were able to put words to paper after you got over how angry, you know, you were because it's disgusting what she had accused you of and how much of it, you know, really came from, you know, the moment. I'm always so curious about moments like that. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm pretty good at, at speaking off the fly, but I think I've really, I've learned a little bit to sit with it for a minute. So I sat on Monday. I wrote a lot of stuff down. I deleted a lot of things. I wrote a lot more things, you know, and and, and I think getting the sort of hypocrisy of, well, you're calling us and what about these people out of my system in writing, but knowing that's not the right message. It's not helping to get into a pissing match over which party is doing worse things internally. Um, and then getting to a point, and it was actually, it was late at night and I was, I was giving my daughter a bath and she was just laughing. She was having such a great time. And that's when a lot of it like just came into my head and I started writing it down and I've got an hour and a half commute and I just repeated it to myself for, for an hour and a half and got to where we got to. And that's what we got. It was, I mean, it was amazing. And like I said, it, it speaks for itself. And sort of now moving away from the speech a little bit, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, sort of go, government overreach, right? The Republicans are always, you know, saying, oh, the Democrats and their overreach here and there. What do you make of Republicans attacks on businesses, you know, whenever a business disagrees with their hateful conduct? Like, how is that the free market? Is that a, like the very definition of cancel culture? Like, for example, what they're doing to Disney right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, government, leave us alone unless you're different type of people. And then we're going to tell you what to do or businesses, you know, we support you until you don't agree with what we're trying to do. And then we're going to cancel you. It's the whole like insanity around cancel culture is just nuts to me. Um, but it, I think it points to a larger issue of there's messaging and then there's funding. And, you know, I've had this conversation with members of the lobby corps, especially over the past few days, where I've, I've told them very bluntly, like, don't ask me where I'm at on your client's bills when I'm grappling with a colleague accused me of pedophilia and grooming. And like, we're trying to figure out like, what do we do? Um, and, and we need businesses and the market and the lobby corps to push back and, and stop funding people who are throwing out this bullshit because frankly, it makes it impossible to do my job, which makes it impossible to do their job. So you can't have it both ways. We had uh, Michigan Attorney General Nestle on the podcast a few months ago. The best. And, and she had mentioned, she's, she is absolutely the best. We had a great time with her on the pod. But she had mentioned to us that in Michigan, there's actually a law in the books which was superseded by Roe v. Wade 
that not only criminalizes abortions, but would make it, you know, a felony akin to murder. And that if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, or even if the Dobbs versus Mississippi case were to be ruled the way people think the Supreme Court's going to be upholding this 15-week abortion ban, that if a Republican administration were to come into power in the state of Michigan, um, women and childbearing persons would be arrested for murder, for seeking reproductive care. Um, I think it's really going to be one of the most important issues. Um, it is the most important issue of our time, and it will be increasingly so as a politically important issue. Is this something that Democrats should be talking more about, that literally the Republicans are going to want to go and arrest women and childbearing persons for murder, um, and that you saw what happened in Texas? But that's actually, that dystopian vision is what America will be when the Supreme Court makes the ruling I think we're all going to be making. And so how do we address that? Absolutely. And and, and the, our attorney general is right, uh, but it's even worse than that because the only protection we have right now is that A.G. Nessel has said she's not going to prosecute these cases. But our Senate Majority Leader, Mike Shirky, said he's going to file suit against her for not doing her job. So it might not even be if Republicans take the executive office and get into power, they're going to start doing it immediately, right away. Um, doing it, arresting women and childbearing persons for murder, throwing them in prisons. And abortion within, providers, doctors, abortion medical providers. providers. I mean, that's that's the the attack on on what we have right now. And, um, you know, this is an issue again in, in how do you talk to swing districts about hard issues. I'm the primary bill sponsor of the Reproductive Health Act in Michigan to to codify abortion access into statute. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, in my district with my last name and I went to Notre Dame, it's the first question people ask me, which is, you know, as a Catholic, how can you support abortion? And we have to have these open conversations about the the again, the lies that the pro-life movement is trying to push. And if we fundamentally agree that a majority of us want to reduce the number of abortions, then we know how to do that. Access to contraception, education, making sure that women can decide if and when to get pregnant in the first place. And that all that criminalizing abortion does is make life significantly more dangerous for doctors and providers, family members, um, and women and, and those who can get pregnant. We know what happens. Lysol used to be marketed directly to women as a means to shove into yourself for contraception and abortion. And, and we're going to go back to that. Nobody wants that. So I have these conversations directly with people and I think they really appreciate it. Uh, I, had, I had constituents who shared a story about they got married, got pregnant after the 20 week uh, ultrasound, found a horrific fetal abnormality and the doctor advised terminating the pregnancy and how heartbreaking that was and how hard it already was to get care. So this was an incredibly impactful story from the husband uh, who said, you know, I never thought that we would be kind of on this list because you have to go onto the Michigan.gov website if you're after 20 weeks and fill out a form and, you know, it, get permission effectively to have this treatment. He said, I thought we were in need of emergency medical care and we felt like pariahs. And they came to the Capitol and I had them meet with a few people and we had bills that were moving to outlaw DNC procedures, which are typically the most, the safest procedure after 20 weeks. Um, and to the credit of some of my Republican colleagues, they met with them, they listened to their story. Uh, but one said to their face, 
I think you made the wrong decision and God put me here to stop this. And I, it's horrible. So those are the stories that I tell constituents who, you know, I think hear the rhetoric about this issue instead of understanding what it's really going to do. Right. So my last question often feels like the laziest one, but when I have such incredible guests like you, I think it actually is the best one. It's where I kind of shut up and thankfully we've been able to build this huge, huge, huge platform. Our podcasts beat most of the mainstream media podcasts out there and we have um, get millions of views on these clips. And so I just like to toss it to the guest to say, if there's any issue you want to talk about and we have this huge platform, you know, I just, I leave it to you and give you the last word. I mean, I think what, what we've been talking about is the most important issue. It's shutting down hate. So I, one of the reasons that I ran for office in the first place is because I love this state. I am not originally from Michigan. I moved here. I've lived in five states all around the country. It is unbelievably beautiful. It is diverse. People are hardworking. There is not a state that you will live in that has more Michigan-themed bumper stickers on the back of cars. People love it here. And this should be the state that young people want to move to and stay in, and companies should be clamoring over each other to invest in, to, to expand businesses. So a huge part of what, what I've worked on my entire time here is what are we doing as a state to cement that future, to protect the things um, that make this place great, which is we are the Great Lakes state, our environment, uh, the ability to get outdoors and explore and um, and our people and Detroit and you know all of these really wonderful things in, in our auto industry. And the reason why this issue and, and tamping down on hate is so important is there is no amount of tax incentive or cut that is going to convince people to move here if the message coming out of the state leadership is unless you are straight, white, and Christian, you're not welcome. So, you know, I hear when I ran for office for the first time, I talked to a lot of parents who said, you remind me a lot of my daughter who left and went to Chicago or Denver or wherever. Why did you come back and what are we doing wrong? And this is it. So this is the existential threat to our state. Frankly, every state, if you want people in your state, then you have to be a welcoming place for people. Sounds simple yet so profound. State Senator Mallory McMorrow, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, I want to tell everyone it was a great interview. I mean, you know, great interview. interview. I mean, she is a superstar, star, super like a superstar. Like we get a lot of people, you know, who complain about democratic messaging and we're constantly asking people for ways to improve democratic messaging. But when you see a video like that of somebody doing it right and just crushing it, make sure you amplify it and make sure you send it to everybody, you know, because that is the passion we need. That is how you fight back against vicious attacks. And that is how you go on the offensive. And honestly, I was more excited to speak with Senator McMorrow than I am just about anybody. I mean, I was completely starstruck, to be honest. So, so, so cool to have her on the Midas Touch podcast. She, she's absolutely amazing. So, so brothers, Superstar is now old. Supernova is now cool and new. I've been watching the show and the main characters, how they pump themselves up. They go, you're a supernova. And like every time they say it to each other, jazzes me up. She's a supernova, man. That's awesome. So I'll tell you who the super is just supernova, supernova trio. You have Karen Berg, who mm -hmm. we interviewed out in Kentucky. I've mentioned it. We have Gloria Johnson from Tennessee. 
Uh, and these are these are state political leaders who are Democrats. And now we have McMorrow who joined state Senator McMorrow, who joined it. The, the commonality we've seen is they've all turned significant plus four, plus 12, plus whatever Trump radical right purportedly leaning districts turned them Democratic, turned them blue. And this is why, because they're not radical right extremist districts. They are being, they, there's a, a massive amount of disinfo. Brett, you said it perfectly on it. There is a void. That's what Midas Media has tried to fill. That void because you have Fox News. And then on the other hand, you have CNN. And sometimes, a lot of times, they look identical now these days. <laughs> they look very, very similar. And there's no one who's actually speaking to people about the issues that people care about. That's the consistency between all those people you mentioned, right? Every time we speak the same to them, thing. we're like, what's the secret? It's never like, oh, well, I like did this brilliant plan of putting together X, Y, it's like a crazy math you know, equation. No, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I spoke to people. I understood their needs. I, I told them, you know, what I was going to do to help them with their health care, how I was going to help them keep jobs, how I was going to help support strong unions, how I was going to help them get abortion care. You know, I, I just spoke to them and they reacted and I flipped the district by 12 points. It's not rocket science, people. Get out there. That's why I think every district is a winnable district. And we need to stop so this. Whole, we need to stop this whole thing of like, why are you? <laughs> <laughs> Stays in the pod. It doesn't stay in the pod. Stays in the pod. It's in the pod. And absolutely stays in the pod. What the fuck is going on with you? I have like just bloody fucking tissues all over my desk. It's disgusting. That stays in the pod, dude. You have to have drama in a pod. Dude, what I loved, what I loved about her interview specifically too is like, you don't need to play politician. You just need to be a real person. And she said that in so few words there, where she's like, you just want to speak to people like you want to grab a beer with them. That's how I got my message across to my constituents. Now I'm paraphrasing there, but politicians, Democrats, please take note, please. Now let's look at what these radical right politicians are doing, and then we'll get into some January 6th updates because there is plenty of news there. As you mentioned earlier in the intro, Ben, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has cost the United States nearly nine billion dollars, billion with a B, in a 10-day span due to his stunt at the border. $9 billion erased from the United States GDP because of his actions to try to inflict as much financial pain, his words, by the way, on the American people, all for his own political gain. I mean, what a clown this person is, and no offense to clowns, because he was all he had the right to do. We talked about this on the last pod was to check the tire pressure and to like check the engines. He was not even allowed to check the cargo. So all of this was literally about extortion against the United States government and he could hold the American economy hostage. And meanwhile, in causing this delay and trying to keep the American government hostage, the produce as produce will do died and the food all went bad and rotted. That's what happened in that time period. And not only $8.97 billion from the United States economy, but $4.27 billion specifically gone from Texas. So if you're a Texan voter and you don't see by now has this man from the power grid situation to this situation is so royally screwing you for his own interest that I really don't know what to tell you. And if you're a Midas Touch listener in Texas, keep spreading the word because like when we spoke to that TikToker who I call Paul Texas the other day, 
When he has conversations with people, they're often hearing the information from him for the very first time because they're only watching Fox News. They're only listening to right-wing radio. So you need to make it your mission to go out and tell people around you exactly what's going on. And big brain Ben, maybe you could help answer this one for me because I, I, I'm at a loss here. I'm old enough to remember, not to defend the guy, there was like an investigation almost launched, or if not launched against Chris Christie when he shut down the bridges. Why is there an investigation being launched around this? This is serious money stolen from the American people. Well, there absolutely should be an investigation. I don't rule out that there isn't going to be an investigation by the Department of Justice. And the only question will be is when the Department of Justice launches this investigation, all the radical right fascists will run to Greg Abbott's defense. They see it's a political. This is the politicization. It's like, dude, you just cost America $10 billion with some bullshit stunt at the border. That's the most absurd thing in the world. And Brett, you said, how can people, you know, if you're in Texas, how can you not see it? They, the reason why they can't see it is because sometimes they're not being shown it. And that's the, that's, that's really the fault of that's they, what you're saying. That's the fault of, of the media. One thing we have to touch on as well, very briefly, though, is just this Ted Cruz. Part of what the GQP and the radical right extremists do is they create scenarios that don't exist. But in doing so, you go down their deep, dark, sick minds of like things that they even think about. And so Ted Cruz was giving this uh, speech. And during this speech, he talked about a situation that is not taking place where Pluto is engaged in sexual intercourse with Mickey Mouse. Ted Cruz said that this is what is taking place on Disney, which is not taking place on Disney. So I don't even know what Ted Cruz is watching where he's consuming uh, two cartoon characters like that engaged in sexual intercourse. We've all seen his tweet history. We've all seen the tweets that he likes. So he's into some pretty. uh... Well, to be clear, I just want to be we're not king shame. We never king shame on the Midas Touch podcast, but we always Ted Cruz shame here. Well, Good clarification there, but, Jordy. But, but th- thanks, Jordy. But also, so that—that's now what he is saying is the reason that Republicans are against Disney is a, a made-up scenario that he created. So it's—it's it's just absurd. You just want to want to play the clip quickly, Brett, just so people yeah. can at least hear sure. what this crazy person said. I think there are people who are misguided trying to drive, you know, Disney stepping in saying, you know, in every episode now they're going to have, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Mickey and Pluto going at it. Like, <laughs> really? Thank you for that image, Senator. You know, that but it's so. just like, come on, guys. Like, like these are kids and, and you know, y- you can always shift to Cinemax if you want that. Like, like why do you have... It used to be, look, I'm a dad. Like, you used to be able to put your kids on the Disney Channel and be like, all right, something innocuous will happen. And there you have it. I mean, Ted Cruz wants so badly to be liked, to be funny, to be a celebrity, and he has none of those things. He's just a weirdo. And it's all part of their weirdo distraction games. But the reason why I think we got to pay attention to stuff like this is because these jokes are going to lead to violence. That's my fear. So this is going to lead to somebody taking a firearm into a place like Disney because they're trying to get rid of groomers and pedophiles. We've seen how this story plays out time and time again. And that's what makes me so terrified by the mainstreaming of this rhetoric. Now, let me just hit some January 6th news before we close out. Alex Jones, InfoWars founder and host, 
has expressed interest in cooperating with the January 6th committee. He, as you know, has been a big figure in all the efforts to overturn the results of the election. He's offering information in exchange for an immunity deal. My gut is I don't know that Alex Jones will have enough information to warrant giving him immunity in this situation. To me, he's a pretty big target himself that DOJ should be taking down. But I think it shows you that Jones is nervous and he's desperate right now because he just filed for bankruptcy earlier in the week to try to avoid paying what he owes to the parents of the Sandy Hook victims who he disparaged and harassed. I mean, just think about that. That's the kind of person who we're dealing with here. So we'll be monitoring what happens with the Alex Jones situation. And as always, we will keep you posted as we hear new info. But all these signs in recent weeks about the Department of Justice shows to me that they have a robust January 6th investigation underway, much of which we don't even know about. So for those of you out there saying, is Merrick Garland doing anything? He absolutely is. It may not be on your schedule, but DOJ is busting their ass on these cases. One example, months ago, DOJ brought in a new prosecutor for January 6 cases named Thomas Winman. He's a career federal prosecutor from Maryland, and we are just finding out about this right now. It's why they call it building a case and not magic wanding a case, because <laughs> you actually have to build it. You know, it's like the equivalent of yelling that Merrick Garland hasn't like prosecuted the leaders of the insurrection yet is kind of like someone who the moment a skyscraper starts being built and you build a foundation, you basically go, where's the elevator? Where's the elevator? I, I'm trying to get to the 90th floor. You know, you, you, you can't take the elevator to the penthouse before the building is even built. And so you actually have to build a case. And that is what they are doing. You know, and then I'll say this, you know, to kind of conclude at the end of the day, Republicans, though, are either going to have to debate these issues or not just go to Jordy, you've said, I don't even think they're going they're to not, even do they, debates. They will not debate. They, they've talked about their policy of not even going to do debates because we see what happens. Like Piers Morgan, who um, I have not been a huge fan of, is kind of an understatement. But Piers Morgan in an interview with Trump, you know, from what we've seen thus far, when just asking Trump very basic questions and Piers Morgan saying, you, you lost the election. Like Trump literally looked like, like, uh, like a, crying pumpkin like like no i did it no i did it i won i won we talking about it. i won i won i won i won like how do you vote for that despicable fucking filth i mean i mean it like oh, i won i won no, i'm the winner i'm the winner Disgusting. like seriously you know and the death santis is on the world you know of the world and these people are gonna have to go in front of the american people you know and why i'm a democrat as i've always said i'm not a democrat because i love the donkey logo are you sure I'm, I'm not a Democrat because you know, I, I think it's like a cool brand, you know, and if Democrats started doing the fascist, disgusting stuff, the Republicans, are, I wouldn't be a Democrat anymore. No. I'd go to another political party. This is just the one that fights for workers. That's normal. That's decent. That's fighting for health care. That's trying to get people educated. Like, that's the only reason that I'm a I'm a Democrat. But with leaders like State Senator Mallory McMurrow, with great leaders like that who can go up and debate people like DeSantis, we've seen time and time again that there is a very practical doable path where people watching that want to vote for health care they want to vote for jobs they want to vote for things that democrats are fighting for so be a loud and proud democrat and go out there and do something to help win 2022 that's the what that's how we always end these podcasts by giving that charge to you and jordy 
store.midastouch.com. Hey, we got something very special for all the mothers out there. If you're a mom, if you're a grandmother, if you're a dog mom, if you're a cat mom, we got the thing for you this Mother's Day. If you have a mom, you got to go to store.midastouch.com. Because if you're listening to this podcast and you're a mom or you have a mom, they're no regular mom. They're a Midas mom, people. So check that out, store.midastouch.com. And Jordy, Mother's Day is just a few weeks away right now. So we're actually doing you, the listener, a huge favor by telling you right now to go get a Mother's Day gift. Go get yourself a Mother's Day gift. Treat yourself, whatever it is. Go check it out at store.midastouch.com. Excellent point, Brett. Excellent point. And then in the spirit of this episode with Senator Mallory McMorrow, we've got another amazing new product. Jordy, tell the people about it. It's a shirt. It says, we will not let hate win. Short, simple, to the point. I think we can all agree that's the message that we need going forward. And folks, let's use those words as a rallying cry as we go into the midterms. Let's think about all the advantages that we do have. Because when we speak to people about these issues one-on-one, we win them over. And that's what the politicians we feature on the show recently have taught us. And we have a money advantage. Democrats just set a fundraising record in the last quarter. The enthusiasm is there. And thanks to the efforts of people like attorney Mark Elias, the redistricting has shifted in the Democrats' favor. Now we're monitoring Florida closely to see what lawsuits come out, to see how all this shakes things up. But we right now have the advantage. So let's use all this fear as fuel. Let's get excited, stay motivated, and together we will not let hate win. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!